Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. Thank you for joining us for a discussion on Sabad Hajare Batshain Dasni. This is the 10th podcast episode in a series of 11, and I hope you've been following along with us so far. My name is Jasleen Gore. I'm a research associate at Sikri, and I'm joined today by Harinder Singh, co-founder of the Sikh Research Institute and innovation director. Fateh Harinder Singh, how are you? You are Jik. I'm sorry, I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited. We're kind of in the home stretch, so it's nice. <laughs> All right, so as usual, we're going to first listen to the recitation. I'm going to read the translation, and then we're going to get into the conversation. The recitation is done by Harjinder Singh. He's a re- research associate at Sikri with a background in Gurbani linguistics, and his pronunciation follows the most simple and non-discretionary pattern meant for the masses, so it's pronounced the way it's inscribed. Let's take a listen. Guruji ka khalsa. वाह गुरु जी की फतह देव गंधारी पातिसाही दसवी इको बेनु दूसर सो नाचनार पंजन गडन समरथ सदा प्रभु जानत है करतार रहाओ कहा पयो जो आते हित चित्तु कर बहु बिधि सिला पुजाई पान थकियो पाहन कह परसत काछु कारि सिद्धि ना आई अछत तूप दीप अर्पत है पाहन कछु ना खै है ता मैं कहां सिद्ध है रे तोहे कछु बर है जो जी होत तौ देत कछु तोहे मन बच कर्म विचारु केवल एक शरण स्वामी बेनो now that we've heard the recitation, I will be reading the English translation. Dev Gandhari, Sovereign Ten. Do not mark any other except the one. That divine is ever capable of destroying and carving. Recognize that as the creator. Pause, reflect. So what if the stone idols are worshipped in many ways with great love and consciousness? Hands are tired of touching the stone idols, but there is no power in hands. Rice, incense, and lamps are offered. The stone idols do not eat anything. O ignorant, What power does a stone idol have that it can grant you a boon? Reflect in mind, speech, and action that if a stone idol had any life, it would have given you something. There is no liberation in other ways except in the refuge of the one owner. So 
heard their sing. <laughs> Let's get into kind of the tone of this composition because it did strike me as sort of sticking out, especially in in uh, in context of the last conversation we had, where we had a composition that was more celebratory and hopeful. Um, I was wondering if you wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, the dog or musical mode of Dev Gandhari here. Absolutely. Uh, and your observation is there. Uh, that's what's going on. So Dev Gandhari, it's, it's unique in itself because it is both a part of what we generally call North Indian and South Indian classical musics, but Karnataka school as well as Hindustani school. Although there's not an agreement as to how the Sikhs are locating themselves in this round, but I want you to know this is part of the larger South Asia as well. And it is a rarely sung round. And because it's rare and it is considered ancient and it involves larger South Asian um, regions, the, the, the mood of it, there's a certainty on that, there's agreement on that, that there is some heroic effort which is being made. Now, anytime you think of a heroic effort, I mean, I, it means uh, that there is something going on here that you'll have to do something more than usual. That's what heroic means to me. It cannot be just good or very good. Heroic means against certain odds and many odds, which means you have to fight the grain within you to overpower all the things which are stopping you from doing that. So that's sort of a setting of it, that Dev Gandhari. And by the way, another interesting snippet about Dev Gandhari is that I want to connect it to yoga a little bit because it's important because the word siddhs and siddhi is going to be talked about in this. So Dev Gandhari is one of the 68, um, they call them siddhoshti. Siddhoshti you can say is uh, basically uh, a remedy, a mercury, a drug, whatever you want to call it, which is one of the 68 which the yogis use, siddhas use. So interestingly, it's got, in, uh, various angles to it. Um, Gandhari is a old language and culture as well, and Dev it means gods. So a lot of that seriousness is being brought in here. Uh, in that seriousness, I think the element which uh, which is speaking to me the most is that something very tough is being asked to do here because we are so the culture of South Asia is so engrossed in it. Yeah, and that I think that makes sense just kind of in the in the ordering of the compositions because the last composition was about having this sort of joyous realization that like these are not the paradigms I want to be working in. There's like something else. And there is like a, a relief and a joyousness in that, but then there is work that comes after. <laughs> so that makes sense. Um yeah, okay. So then in the first and second lines were asked to pause and reflect, and the guru says. Do not mark any other except the one. That divine is ever capable of destroying and carving. Recognize that as the creator. So what is um, the context around this composition? And what is this like mark that is being referred to here? How does that relate to the paradigm that is being subverted? Yeah, so this is a very much a global thing. Yeah, literally the word uh, here is chin or chin or chin. I mean, there are varieties of this. It comes from Sanskrit, which can mean mark. It can also mean a symbol, sign, logo, and things of that nature, which eventually get identified. What do all these things do? They are identified or they refer to some form or some figure. And this is global, right? We are identifying with particular marks 
And there's identifier which shows up if you uh, travel in a particular region of the world. And we all have certain science and people read these, these signs. And what is being talked about here is, what is that sign? And what Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is saying, there is no sign other than the one itself. Because every other sign is creating these confusions. They're about particular deification, we may call it today. Idols, we call them. Idol worship is another element of it. So essentially, none of the marks which are uh, spread globally, which are spread in South Asia, and South Asia and in the Hindu culture, the marks are of particular idols. And that's what's being described here, that the physical appearance of that one is not going to be in any physical marking. And the, the addressing is very powerful. If you look at the original word being used here, it says, ik bin, without the one, other than the one, except the one, dusar so nachinar, there is no other mark. So do not mark any other except the one is an interpretation, which essentially means because there is no mark, there is no one single mark or a logo or some signage which identifies the one. Yeah, that's really helpful. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then we get into this paradigm of stone idols in the following lines. And I, I wanted to take us through kind of two by two. Um, so in the third and fourth lines, the Guru says, so what if the stone idols are worshipped in many ways with great love and consciousness? Hands are tired of touching the stone idols, but there is no power in hands. So can you explain a little bit more about these idols um, for those of us who aren't super familiar and what is kind of involved in having and like maintaining a relationship with the idol? I think that's something that I don't really have a ton of background info on. And then what is this power that the Guru is talking about? Um, yeah, and maybe once we talk about that paradigm, we can kind of get into how you understand um, what the Guru is maybe asking us to do instead, because I really liked the way that you sort of thought through these in your commentary. Well, there's a lot of toughness here, and we are being asked to think about something which has totally overpowered us. So the second part of the Rahau, to carry this forward as you're asking, is very important because the phrase used is Gadan Panjanhar, the divine is the one who's the only one who's all capable of destroying or carving. And Janat recognized that one as the Kartar, as the only creator, because what starts to happen? The idols we believe in, we start to make them the creator, just like we make them the death. We, we make them the ultimate reality or the, the most supreme being, whichever word you may choose to describe, and people do use different words for it. In order to get us out of that mode, what is being talked about is there is a puja worship. There is a there's a mode in India, in a popular Hinduism, all over South Asia, where people worship in a particular way. And the word here uses sila. Sila word is, and I think this will help us understand this. The like I grew up seeing these things as well. And in my adult life, I've gone to particular temples to see particular sila. You know, the, the more common word today which maybe some of the audience uh, may be aware of are shaligrams. You know, shaligram is a shila. Now that is a particular kind of a stone, which is in the particular banks of a particular river. So we have to, uh, just like in idols, right? You know, the more relationships people develop, they develop particularities. 
But here, Guru Sahib is extrapolating that and saying, look, I think you probably can recognize uh, shivling the most, which is also a stone. So people got their own versions of stones, carvings on those stones, markings on them. You know, how you identify a particular phenomena because you see certain things. If you're in Yukon Territory or in Alaska, in the Northwest, especially the Canadian Plus, you will see, you know, totem poles. It's a carving and identifying certain things too. Again, it's a global thing. And what Guru Sahib is doing with us here is saying, look, you can, the, the, he's talking about the most common way people deal with their idols. And it says, you're worshiping them in so many ways. You're doing it in love. You're doing it out of particular consciousness. And uh, you use your hands, you know, you use your hands to do things for them, you know, and people do things with their hands, right? People, when we are in love and we are conscious of how we take care of something, but what Guru Sahib is really saying is like you're utilizing your hands and your minds and your emotions and your brains are coming into you, your physical effort is being made. But look, uh, what are you gaining by doing this? I know you have immense love and emotion and intention here, but this Silla or Shila or Shaligram, you know, for you, it has a particular deity, a particular form, a particular figure, but your hands have become so tired of worshiping this, taking care of it, bathing it, caressing it. It's still an ideal and you have not gained any Siddhi. The word uses Siddhi again. Remember the Siddhas, the proven ones, what power or miracle did you gain by doing this? Which means no power, no proven super energy, supernatural ability has been achieved by you. Now again, Guru Sahib is not saying you do this, but that's what people do it for. So what is the last part you had asked? This is kind of, it's not hard to understand, but we need to understand that people who do that, I do it, you do it, a third party does it, the Hindus do it, non-Hindus do it, is not the question here. We have our own versions of these. They do do it with some devotion and love and intentionalities. What Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is saying to me is, I have been doing this my entire life. I've been worshiping idols. And they are marked by, you know, they might not be stones for us. For me, they might be personalities. So do I not need to do something about my discipline of not doing that anymore? Whether I do it for income or display, because people do do pujas and these worship because they have become income centers. We can bring all religious and non-religious things, we can understand they're either for display to gain following or to gain income. And Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj instead is saying, look, I really need to, he's telling me this, that Harinder, I need to recognize only the one in everything and everywhere. I need to be very, very vigilant about not just demonstrating love and intention in my modes of worship, it's a self-vigilance which is needed, not people who take advantage of those things. So essentially, whoever you are serving, be it a stone or a personality, however you are serving with immense love and devotion, are you really doing it for that purposes or are you really doing it to connect with the one? And what Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj offers is, none of this is going to connect you with the one because the one you are serving is connecting you with that one. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I think, again, like the, 
the reframing so that it becomes more relatable to us because we're maybe we're not actively dealing with stone idols like what are the idols that like I am sort of partaking in relationship with and serving until my hands are tired I think that's a reflection that I'll I'll have to yeah think about a little bit more but that's really helpful and as a reminder, Jocelyn, you and I worked on a commentary a while ago in Guru Granth Sahib project where Guru Nanak Sahib very much cautions us on the theatricalities of things. So it's not the theatricalities of what others do. We are very quick to look at those and critique it. This is about my theatricality. And I justified that I'm doing it in love and devotion, but is it? You're doing it in love and devotion to that personality or that stone. And don't confuse that with that the one the one is different than the personalities we are idealizing no that's great that's really helpful i think um okay then we can move into the next few lines that are still kind of stuck on the idols um so the guru writes rice incense and lamps are offered the stone idols do not eat anything Oh, ignorant, what power does a stone idol have that it can grant you a boon? So again, this tough tone. Um, but yeah, I was wondering if like, maybe you could continue this line of thought of like, what is the context here? What is this process of like ritual and ritual offering? Um, and what, again, what is the guru asking us to kind of think about instead implicitly? Yes. So the ritual in the mode of worship is now coming in, right? So the word rice is used. I want to explore that a little bit because I think the incense and lamps, we get it. You know, they're for fragrance and they're for light, a particular arti mode perhaps. But the, the rice part needs to be understood more. There is a word which is commonly used. And again, I have stood witness to it, watching people do it. Uh, my friends who are from a particular branch or persuasion of Hinduism, I've seen them do it. And I've been to some of the major temples where they do it in a more elaborate ways. You know, the term they use is lapsi. Lapsi is basically a sweet rice dish. Uh, it can be made of other grains, but uh, the rice one is very common. And references to this come in Guru Granth Sahib as well, when they say naved karo. Naved otherwise means milk, but it's milk with rice because they create that thing. So anyway, this, this dish, again, it's about the love and intention we have, right? And the efforts individual makes and the monies they spend to do this within their means and sometimes beyond their means. So the lapsi is where you put, you know, ghee in it, in your milk, you have nuts, you have raisins and other dry fruits and they're prepared uh, for a particular Hindu ceremonies to the ideal, or to their idol, sorry. Um, so what Guru Sahib is saying is, Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj, just like in the previous set of lines, he was really rhetorically asking. Now Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj to me is thoughtfully, he is provoking a thought within us that you do all this. But now he uses a very tough word. He used the word jad. He says, are you ignorant? Are you foolish? Does this idol have any siddhi or a power? Can it really grant you any boon or a wish or a blessing? And this is very tough to hear. But remember, this is not speaking to the schools of thoughts who are doing it. This is speaking to the individual who's doing it. Because guru is interested in the being, the person, the one who is in love with the guru, wants to learn from the guru, is studying the guru. But here, Guru Sahib is saying, why are you doing this? You know this is just a stone. You are putting so much time and effort, which means priorities of life. 
You know, who knows what else your needs are? And we see this in our lives. People do this so much without realizing whether this is worth doing. And this is why I believe Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is really provoking thought here. That let's not be ignorant and foolish about this. This is not going to give you, quote unquote, the siddhi or the powers you're looking for or the miracles you're looking for. And by the way, we see a theatricality of it because now people are made theater about how the idol actually consumes. We know the stone doesn't consume. So now you hear about stories in last 10, 15 years, how people are trying to make the idols consume things because they're playing with their minds. At the end of the day, because there's a toughness being used by the guru here, what is this saying to me? Look, for me, what Guru Sahib is saying is, I need to really, really think about where I offer my strength, my bodily, my physical strength. Where do I offer my intellect? You know, all the mental faculties which I may have been, I have been graced with. And where do I give my money to? You know, the, uh, the assets I have. Am I utilizing all that for ending my separation with the one? Or am I offering that to the idols, which essentially are personalities in this world, who may be playing with it? This may be a game for them. This might be another ploy. So there is a lot of thoughtfulness here. Essentially, uh, just lean to me, this one is very, very clear that my ask from the one is not about powers and wishes, because that's what people do with personalities and idol worships and stone worships. Uh, my ask, just like in this series of Sabad Hajare, is to seek the connection, to end the separation. And that's the thoughtfulness being brought here. Yeah, no, I think that last thing you said is really resonating with me because we have seen this theme of like, it's not just that we've complicated things. It's that like, even what we're asking for is so small in the scheme of things. And what is really like paining us, like we've seen in other Shabbats or what's really causing this exhaustion is that we are in separation or we are sort of engaging in an active othering, right? Like these are the things that are actually um, being, going unaddressed because we're so caught up in the in the other stuff. So um, yeah, that's really like connecting every everything that we've talked about so far for me. Um, okay, so if I, if I come to the last two lines then, um, the guru says, reflect in mind, speech, and action that if a stone idol had any life, it would have given you something. There is no liberation in other ways except in the refuge of the one owner. So I kind of been stuck on this reflecting in mind, speech, and action sort of phrase because we we like have sort of used it in commentaries sometimes. So I was hoping we could talk a bit about like what that really means. Um, and even though refuge did come in the last composition, we haven't really spent a ton of time um, on like what that means either. I think I was thinking about this when I was doing a commentary for Guru Gransar project of like, when we use the word refuge or we use the word sanctuary, it does feel like a physical place, even though we know it's not. So maybe we can talk about these two sort of ideas, what it means to reflect in mind, speech and action and what it means to take this refuge. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, so it's a further probing. So let's explore both of these questions what you have raised. And they're very important question because, you know, again, we have to keep applying it to ourselves. But we start with the physical, what is being mentioned very directly. Yeah. So the first part is before we can talk about man bach karam, which is what you're referring to, you know, this mind, speech, and action, what did it say? The first part is saying, uh, 
the, the language in Czech, you know, I'm, I'm used to this language because I've heard this language growing up. You know, it's closer to today's Hindi and I grew up in Bundelkhandi and, you know, this idea of old sort of a uh, old Hindi people call it, but it really is uh, sort of a bridge elements, right? Which we have talked about in our introductory session that this language is really, really important. And the way it's being mentioned here, I mean, I, I'm spending time on it because it speaks to me, right? And the way it's said is what? It says, it's, it's, it's the way people even talk today. It's colloquial. And what is being colloquial about is this. Like, if, if this stone had something, if it had any life, actually, it would have given you something. So to me, you know, when we hear things like life begets life, that comes into play. Yeah. And again, from a probing angle, it's saying, all the intentionality is understood, but this something ain't adding up. Because what needs to happen, now we are asked, this is the first time Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj actually bichar word is used. Contemplate on this, think about this. Man bach karam, and which is where your question is. So essentially, because a stone cannot do that for you. You know, our idol personalities may have been wanting to do that to you, but are they really doing that too is the question we need to ask. So what is man bach karam? Look, man is mind. Mind is where thoughts are born. You know, and bachan is what we voice, the speeches, the kind of commitments we give. So our thinking, how is that getting developed? The kind of articulations and enunciations we are doing and how they become part of our karam, our actions, our behaviors. So it's essentially saying, has it altered any of those three things for you? If it hasn't, then what are you doing? This life is not able to give you life because this has no life. You think it has life, but it doesn't. It's a marking to explain a particular phenomena. And we study things, so it's okay to study. But at some point, this is not working because it's not changing the way you think. It's not changing the way you articulate things because that's our understanding. And it is not changing what you do. It's in this context that refuge is offered. That's the last line. And the refuge word is saran here. You know, this is a very common word in Guru Granth Sahib. It's common in vocabulary of uh, indologies, I'll call it. But most important part here is keval ek saran swamibir. Keval again. It came once before in another shabad. You know, when you have to stress the idea so much that only this refuge, because we take refuges in other things, in our contemporary societies, refuges and shopping has become a big phenomena. But we take refuges in quote-unquote gurus or the spiritual beings or a particular movie watching or binge watching or substance abuse. Those are all refuges. But here it's saying, keval ek. Saran is refuge or the sanctuary because you feel safe there. But the, I want to really focus on the word Swami here. So Swami, in this context where stone and idols are being talked about, when an individual develops a particular intimate relationship with a particular idol, they start calling them that they are their Swami. 
This is very important to understand. It's a position, but it's a personal position. And Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj uses that in a very uh, disruptive yet creative and a personal way. Like, look, the Saran is with that Swami, which is only the one. Everyone else is using the position of a Swami. You think you are developing that relationship, but it's not working. It's not going to work because it's not changing your mind, the way you think, it's not changing your articulation, your, the way you say things, you know, like our language is not changing. So if my language is not changing, my thinking is not changing, my actions and my behaviors are not changing, that means I really need this refuge where I am intimate. My love and intention needs to be intimately, intently and intimately connected to the one. And when I am connected to only that one, this then what happens? Because everyone's guaranteeing freedom these days, right? Political philosophies are doing it, dictators are doing it, democracies are doing it, religions are doing it. But Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj says, <laughs> Now this is very interesting line again. There is no other liberation. You're not gonna get liberation anywhere else. Because why? Because those markings are related to a, something else, something less. They are not, capable of carving everything or destroying everything, which is the creator itself. So to me, uh, this is very, very clear that uh, the freedoms can be talked about, freedoms can be guaranteed as they do it in American constitution as well. But look what's happening in America. Look what's happening globally. Uh, religions have been guaranteeing this, but look where we are in this world and the disorder we are in, right? In our personal lives, I look at my life and Guru Gobind Sahib is saying, Okay, Harinder, if there is freedom you're looking within you, the only mark you need to be concerned about is of that one. It costs you nothing. <laughs> you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to prepare anything. All the buying and preparation is within you. And that is to take refuge there, accept that sanctuary and only that sanctuary. No other shaligram, no other stone, no other service, no other worship, no other personality can give that to you. You can go learn from them, you can go study them, but if you really want freedom, this freedom in all respects, not religious, spiritual, political, the kind we say, it just uses the word mukti. Mukti is emancipation. It will come from Swami, the Swami who's that one, not the Swami who's stones or personalities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So something that you said is actually giving this like a new light for me too, which is like, I know that from our discussions on Swami and from what you've said today, like there is this like deeply intimate sort of connotation. And so when I think about that, like juxtapose with these like stone idols that have no real life in them that we're like constantly fumbling to have some kind of ma like maintain some kind of relationship with them we're doing all this stuff we're exhausted we're like cooking for these things that can't eat and the like most intimate relationship is the one that we're ignoring the one that has the most potential to be like the most intimate and um offer us the most is the one that we're ignoring. And even the like fact that these things are made of stone speaks to a kind of lack of intimacy and coldness. Um, 
yeah, that's just really, really interesting. I think um, as I kind of see it, like, yes, this is a tough one, but it does kind of answer that question of like, okay, now that I've had this realization and I'm like kind of sitting in the joy of this realization, like we had in the last Shabbat, like, what is it now that I have to still make an effort towards? Um, because again, and I'll probably say this every episode, there is this kind of paradox of we've made things more complicated. We've created particularities. We've created entangled sort of webs of systems that we're trying to follow, but also we have to make a different kind of effort towards this much simpler realization, this much simpler system and more intimate relationship. So it's like, it's not that like, once you have this realization, you're good to go. <laughs> like there's so much effort that is required and sort of hard truths that we have to sit with, which I think this, um, this composition is offering some hard truths. Um, this is why we lovingly call Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj our sovereign. Mm -hmm. Because this sovereign is interested that we be equally sovereign. Yeah. And to us, he's telling us the hard truths. He's not saying you follow me. He's not saying you follow a particular Sikh or a particular school of thought of Sikhi or a particular school of thought of religion or politics or spirituality. Every guru did this because they personally believed in it and they believe this is what emancipates the humanity connect to the one, to the source. And this is why the message resonates with so many people. But the problem is that we are caught up in these, right? As you're saying, this is our paradox. It's not Guru's paradox. Guru fully knows this paradox and this game. This game, which has intricate philosophies, methodologies. In fact, even in this one, you know, I said, you know, Guru is very familiar with the Devgandhari is also one of the 68 potions or the mercuries or the rasas of the Siddhas. So the using of that rag to talk about something tough and saying, it's okay, he brought it so much basic, look what they got you busy doing. So essentially what it's saying to me is Harinder, don't get busy doing things which have been, which men have been telling us. You know, you can learn from them. They might help us understand certain phenomena. I really need to be busy making the one my Swami. That's the only way the freedom will come to me. And when I realize it, when other people realize it, we help create that freedom for everyone. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful place to end this conversation. I think it leaves us all with a lot to think about. Um, yeah, I hope everyone's feeling inspired and sort of ready to, ready to maybe face some of those hard truths. Um, our, our next podcast will be on Shabbat 10. Um, and I hope you all join us again then next time. And in the meantime, if you do have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at justlean.gore at sikri.org. We are, as I said, in the home stretch. So I hope we're all looking forward to the last, the last uh, exploration. Thank you, Hrindar Singh. Thank you. appreciation and connection with the Sabbat, we have added Bible Beer Sing's rendition. We hope you enjoy it.
ਜਗਦੇਵ ਗੰਧਾਰੀ ਪਾਤਸ਼ਾਹੀ ਦਸਵੀਂ ਇੱਕ ਬਿਨ ਦੂਸਰ ਸੋਨਾ ਜਾਨਤ ਹੈ ਕਰਤਾ ਅਜਨ ਕਰਨ ਸਮਰਥ ਸਦਾ ਪ੍ਰਭ ਜਾਨਤ ਹੈ ਕਰਤਾ ਦੂਸਰ ਸੋਨ ਜਿਨਾ ਇੱਕ ਬਿਨ ਸਦਾ 
सदा प्रभ जानते हैं करतार रहाओ कहा भयो जो अत हित चित कर बहु शिला पुजाई आम थक्यो पाहन कह पर सत कश कर सिद्ध ना आई अच्छित धूप दीप अर्पत है पाहन कशू ना खै है कहा सिद्ध है रे जड़ ओह कशु बर दे है जो जी होत तो बेत कशु तोहे बच कर्म विचार कर मन बच कर्म विचार केवल एक शरण स्वामी बिन केवल एक शरण स्वामी यौन कत है उधार कत है दूसर सोन चिनारेन दूसर सोन दूसर सोन चिना You were listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute. 
illuminating every path.